0: Libby? If you have a Bible, you want to open it up to Luke chapter 22. We're going to continue on in our series through the Gospel of Luke. Last week, we did verses 1 through 6 there in chapter 22. Today, we're going to pick up in verse 7, and we'll work our way through verse 20. And as you get kind of settled into there, whether it's on your phone or you've got a hard copy Bible in front of you, you might notice a couple of the headings. The first Lord's Supper is what starts in verse fourteen. If you back up from there, it says preparation for Passover. We're going to be talking about this regular act that we do here, uh, communion, but it comes in the context in Jesus's day in the context of Passover, which is like this national meal and holiday that Jewish Israelite people would celebrate together, and maybe the closest thing we have. To that kind of national gathering and meal would be Thanksgiving that once a year here in America, we gather around tables and we celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday. 330 million-ish people in the United States. In 2021, the stats I found said that there were 46 million turkeys sacrificed on the altar of Thanksgiving dinner for us. Um, We get together together. Maybe you get your whole family together. People bring different sides or whatever. Somebody takes care of cooking the turkey. You all have, you fill your plates up. Nobody touches the cranberry sauce. People eat uh, everything else that's brought and on offer there. And we just spend time being together, being thankful for all that uh, the Lord has blessed us with. The Passover meal in Israel was an opportunity for the Jewish people to come together and to be thankful for the work of God in rescuing them from Egypt. That was the point of the Passover. Now when we take communion today, we're actually entering into what is the New Testament's iteration of that Passover meal. We're entering into our version today of this very significant act of remembrance and celebration that Jewish people used to do. In fact, That meal, if you took the whole of your Bible, Genesis to Revelation, actually comes in three phases. There's Passover in the Old Testament. There's communion in the New Testament. And Revelation pictures that in eternity, there will be this marriage feast of the Lamb. Another way to think about that would be that this celebratory meal that God's people engage in has three different eras, and in each era, it shifts. In the Old Testament, that's the era of the law. That's how God's people related to him. In the New Testament, there's the era of grace. That's how we relate to God now. We celebrate that with communion. The Old Testament era of the law was Passover. And in the era, the age of eternity, we'll celebrate with the marriage feast of the lamb. We're gonna hit on all three of those because Jesus, in this passage, mentions all of them. And so hopefully, as we work our way through this, it helps us kind of think about how it is that we approach or prepare our hearts, position our minds when we come and we take communion today in our, in our day and age here in the church age. So if you've got this open, I'm going to start in verse 7 of chapter 20, and I'm going to read through verse 20, which is the middle of a section, but uh, it makes sense to end there. That's where Jesus' explanation of this meal stops. So this is Luke 22, starting in verse 7. Then the day of unleavened bread came when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. Listen, he said to them, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters. Tell the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished room upstairs. Make the preparations there. So they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this, is the, uh, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning for the opportunity to gather in worship. We praise you for your word, the way that you've revealed yourself to us in it, the way that you've pointed us to Christ through it. God, we thank you for your spirit who's present among us here this morning, opening our hearts and minds to the truth of your word, pressing it deeply into us, molding us in obedience to your word that we might reflect the image of Christ in our world today. Chiefly, Lord, we thank you for your son, whose body was broken and blood was poured out, that our sin might be forgiven and we might be brought into your new kingdom people. God, I pray that as we look at these words and as we worship and sing, as we take communion together this morning, God, I pray that the beauty of the sun would be what we cherish. I pray that the wonder of the cross and of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf wouldn't be lost on us this morning, but that we would deepen in our affection for him, that we would grow in our longing to be obedient to him, that we would become ever more passionate in our worship of him. God, we pray this in his name. Amen. Here's the plan this morning. We're just going to look at each of those ages, the Passover, what that meal looked like in the age of the law, communion and what that meal looks like today in the age of grace, and then the marriage feast of the lamb and what that meal will look like in the age of eternity. Here's our landing point this morning. In taking communion, followers of Jesus remember, celebrate, and anticipate the glory of Jesus, the lamb who was slain. Now these are not perfect distinctions because there are similar elements within each one of the gospels but each gospel writer has a theological lens that they approach their writing with each of them has sort of a theme that they're trying to bring out for their readers so Matthew he is very interested in covenant he positions Jesus as this new Moses figure who has arrived to fulfill all that the law required And that finds its way into Matthew's account of the Last Supper or the institution of the Lord's Supper. The highlight of that evening for Matthew as he recounts this night between Jesus and his disciples is when Jesus takes the cup and he says, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of many. That's like the peak moment for Matthew as he records the Last Supper. Mark his gospel is all about Jesus' activity. You see the ministry of Jesus more so than the teaching of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. If you've got a Bible that puts the words of Jesus in red and you open it up to Mark's gospel, there will be far less red in Mark's gospel than in any of the other three. His is all about action and activity. What is Jesus doing and how does that tell us who he is? And so in Mark's recounting of the Last Supper on this night between Jesus and the disciples, You get rapid fire activity. He took, he broke, he gave. Then he says to the disciples, take this. They ate, they drank, he said. The account is very quick. What's happening in the room? The Gospel of John. John is interested in portraying Jesus as uh, this divine word who has come from heaven, entered into earth, and throughout John's gospel, he highlights numerous times things that involve water, changing water to wine, for example. And in John's account of the Last Supper, you get the meal, but the highlight for John is Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Takes a towel, basin of water, washes the disciples' feet, and the highlight of the night for John in in this portrayal of the Last Supper is when one of the disciples said, don't do this. You shouldn't wash me like this. And Jesus responds, John 13, 8, if I don't wash you, you have no place with me. That's the highlight in John's gospel. For Luke, Luke is concerned with portraying Jesus as this king who has arrived. And with him has come the inauguration of this new kingdom. And so... In Luke's recounting of this meal, he mentions the kingdom of God two different times. Verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 18, for I tell you, from now on I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. That's Luke's emphasis. Jesus has arrived, he is king of the kingdom, and with him has come this new kingdom that's bringing together a new kingdom people. That finds its way into how it is that Luke talks about the Last Supper. In Luke's account, there are these three ages clashing in this moment. Old Testament, Jesus's current day in the New Testament, and this future age in eternity. We're going to start by looking at Old Testament, this Passover meal in the age of the law. Passover helped Israel remember and celebrate the glory of God in their salvation from Egypt. If you jump back up to verse 1 of chapter 22, Luke is very concerned with making sure his reader understands the context in which Jesus has this meal with the disciples. Verse 1. The festival of unleavened bread, which was called Passover, was approaching verse 7 where our section started today then the day of unleavened bread came when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed in verse 8 Jesus gives instructions he sent Peter and John saying go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover Luke wants to make sure the reader understands the disciples are in Jerusalem they're going into this room to celebrate this Passover meal Jesus sends Peter and John to prepare where it is that they're going to take this meal. And that's no small task. The reason being that in Jesus's day, Passover was one of three festivals that required you to come to Jerusalem. And so families, Israelite families would come from all over, stream into the city of Jerusalem and the city could swell to six times its normal population. So to put that in our context, it's about 32,000 people that live in Liberty. Imagine that growing by six. Think of 152, you're just trying to get over the bridge. Multiply that normal traffic times six. That's the situation in Jerusalem during the Passover meal. Jewish families would come from everywhere. In fact, Luke chapter two, verse 41 tells us that Jesus's family was very diligent about going to Jerusalem every year in order to celebrate the Passover. Securing a place to eat would be a challenge. There aren't enough rooms for people to be able to gather together together and take this meal. And so like he did when he was talking about the donkey for his entry into Jerusalem, Jesus gives very specific instructions for Peter and John. They're going to enter into the city and be met by a man carrying a water jug. First question would be, which man carrying a water jug is the one that we're supposed to talk to? At least that would be our first question. For them, That would stand out. It was a woman's job to go to the well and get water. Think of the woman at the well that Jesus interacts with. That was a task that women would do, take these jugs out to the well, fill them up, bring them back for the day for the family. So Jesus is saying, you're gonna see something unusual. A man is going to be carrying a water jug. When you meet him, follow him to his house and enter into it. He's not the owner, but find the owner and ask, The teacher wants to have a meal here. Where's the room that we can use? And they'll take you to an upper room that's already furnished. Prepare the meal there. It goes just like Jesus said it would. That's verse 13. And now they're ready. They have a space at least to take the Passover meal. Now that meal itself requires that we do a little bit of background work. The very first Passover happens back in the book of Exodus. It's in chapters 12 and 13. And the way that the Israelite nation was supposed to prepare for this meal was that they were supposed to take in the first month of their calendar year, an unblemished one year old male lamb into their home on the 10th day. After four days of having that lamb in the house, your young children would have been very attached to the lamb. That thing's become a pet already. It's got a name. They're writing it around the living room regularly. You're, tre- you're teaching it to play fetch. Like that's what's happening with the lamb. And on the 14th evening at twilight, every Israelite family was to take that lamb and slaughter it. Then they were to take some of the blood, wipe it on their doorframe on both sides, up across the top. They were to drain the rest of the blood out, roast the meat and eat that lamb as part of the Passover Meal. In fact, they were supposed to eat it with their sandals on and dressed ready to leave so that when the Lord told them, they could get up and run out of Egypt. And then that night, the angel of the Lord passes through Egypt and every home that does not have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, the firstborn of that family is slain. And in that way, God passes over all the homes of the Israelites, Numbers tells us that when Israel fled from Egypt after that night, there were over 600,000 men older than 20 years old. You can do the math on the number of lambs slaughtered that night. That's a lot of families. From that point forward, Passover was to be celebrated every year at the start of the Israelites' calendar year. Now, where that falls in our calendar today, it's like Passover this past year was April 15th to the 23rd. So that's the start of the Jewish calendar year. It's sort of in the middle of what we have as our traditional year. And over time, as I mentioned last week, two festivals got sort of pushed together, Passover and the Festival of Unleavened Bread. They were celebrated over the course of the week with a sacred meal, Passover, typically taken on the last night of the celebration. When you read Exodus 12 and 13, it doesn't read exactly like that, but as is the case with many transitions, it's slightly morphed over the years. And so in Jesus' day, on the day of the Passover meal, you would go to the temple and you would either bring a lamb with you or you would buy one there near the temple. Now, when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, he goes into the temple and he flips over the money changers' tables and he's running people out of there because they've turned it into a den of robbers. Most likely who he's running out are individuals selling these lambs to other Israelite families who did not bring one with them from wherever they traveled from. But you would go, you would take your lamb or you would buy one there near the temple and you would stand in line, you and your lamb. And at some point you would get to the front of the line and you would take your living one-year-old lamb and you would hand it over to the priest. And the priest right there in the temple line behind you would slaughter that lamb kill it, take its now lifeless body and hand it to the priest next to him who would right there in front of everyone drain out all of the blood from that lamb's body right there at the front of the temple. That priest would pass it to the next priest who would do a set offering with very specific prayers that they offered over the body of this lamb. And then that lifeless lamb's body drained of all of its blood was handed back to you so you could take it home, roast the meat, and prepare the Passover meal. This is not like going out to dinner at 54th Street. Preparing the Passover meal is a very visually, audibly graphic experience. I mean, just think, of the thousands of lambs brought up there, all the blood. You took that living lamb and you handed it over to that priest and it's probably kicking and bleating and making noise there would have been smells and sights and sounds and you did that every single year before you took that lamb home and prepared dinner jesus and his disciples are prepared to go into the upper room and join in the procession of hundreds and hundreds of years and thousands and thousands of Jewish families in partaking in this meal. And the meal itself involved a number of different rituals and prayers and steps, and you passed the cup around multiple times, and you said certain things, you offered certain prayers at certain points during the meal. At some point as a Jewish family, a Jewish father would decide, I need to start preparing my son to be able to lead his own family in this one day. And so when your son got to a certain age, you would decide he was old enough to accompany you to the temple to take part in everything that was associated with the preparation of this meal. And so you would go stand in line and you've got your lamb and your son and you get up to the front of the line and to your son's horror, probably, that lamb is slaughtered right there in front of his eyes. And your son would be like, what in the world is happening? Why do we do this? Why do we have to do this every year? Exodus 13, verse 14, actually provides the answer. It says this, In the future, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, by the strength of his hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. So the Passover meal helped Israel remember and celebrate the glory of the Lord in their salvation from Egypt. And the Passover meal required the sacrifice of thousands of lambs over hundreds of years for the sake of one nation. The act of remembering and celebrating required killing these lambs yearly. I mean, to think about the amount of effort associated with traveling there, money in order to either take one from your flock or buy one at the temple, the amount of blood involved in the whole thing, the chaos there at the temple is staggering all of it to remember and celebrate the glory of God in Israel's salvation from slavery in Egypt. The whole point was to ground themselves once a year, recenter their hearts on who it is that they worship, reframe who they are as a nation and what it is that God has done on their behalf. That's what Passover was. And now Jesus is going into this room in order to take that meal and give it a totally new meaning. Look at verse 14. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired. Now in Greek, that literally says, I have desired with great desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus takes this Passover meal, and he refashions it into what we call communion. And communion helps the church remember and celebrate the glory of God in the giving of his son. Jesus and his arrival on earth is initiating a new age. And with that new age comes a changing in God's people's relationship with him and a changing in this meal. God's people go from relating to God on the basis of the law to relating to God on the basis of grace. And the shift in that age requires the sacrifice of another lamb. But this is no one-year-old, unblemished lamb from the flock. This is the perfect, spotless, spotless, unblemished, eternal lamb of God, the Son. And what is wild in the context of this meal, particularly for these Jewish men, is that Jesus positions himself as the lamb. And so he says, this is my body, broken, given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. He's talking to men who know what it looks like for the body of that lamb to be given over to the priest, literally broken, and then given back to them after the blood has literally been poured out of it. So Jesus is saying, here's this bread. That's my body given for you. He takes this cup and he says, that's my blood poured out for you now all of that would have totally made sense except for the whole like are you saying you're the lamb part that's what would have been confusing all of the images totally make sense when we hear those words we think ah those are the things we say at communion jesus uses those words intentionally i'm reshaping this passover meal that jewish individuals have done for hundreds of years And it's my body broken. It's my blood poured out. You do this not in remembrance of lambs back in Egypt. You do this in remembrance of me. And it's pretty clear, based on what happens in the garden right after this, that the disciples don't get it right away. Because when Jesus is about to be arrested, they want to initiate a fight. But I think that after seeing Jesus' body hanging up there on the cross, it probably clicked them there's the one who's rescued us it's not about those lambs anymore and their blood on the doorposts it's about that lamb and his blood shed on the cross the age has changed and the meal gets shifted and Jesus says do this in remembrance of me we no longer do this event yearly. We do it more frequently than that. But the purpose is still the same. Our hearts need to be centered and re-centered. Our worship needs to be framed and reframed. And so here at LCF, we take communion every other week. You could go to some churches that do it every Sunday. You could go to other churches where maybe they do it once a month. Some do it once a quarter. What matters is that the people of God come together together in order to celebrate and remember the glory of God and the giving of his son. And our hearts need it frequently that we might be reminded, what exactly is it that we worship? Why is it that we come together to celebrate? And so the communion meal remembers the sacrifice of one lamb at one time for thousands of nations. Israel, they did the Passover meal one nation sacrificed thousands of lambs to remember the glory of God and saving them. The church now, a new people made up of thousands of nations, remembers the glory of God in the sacrifice of the one, capital L, lamb. We remember and celebrate the glory of God and the giving of his son. See the power of what Jesus is doing in this moment. He's totally shifting the paradigm of his disciples. It's no mere dinner. This would have been totally altering for the disciples. Taking one thing that they understood very well and refashioning it into something entirely new. But there's one more piece of this. Luke records Jesus' mention of the coming of the kingdom twice in this passage. I already read them, but I'll read them again. Verse 16, For I tell you, I will not eat it, that's the Passover meal being refashioned as communion, Again, until it, same meal, Passover, refashioned his communion, is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 18, for I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. The thrust of both of those statements is that Jesus will not partake in this kind of meal until some future date when this kingdom that Jesus has been talking about has fully and finally arrived. So he fervently desires to take this meal with the disciples, but he won't do it again until the kingdom has arrived. Scripture tells us exactly when that will be. And to no surprise, it pictures that moment as a giant meal, a festival or a banquet feast in celebration of a lamb. This is the way Revelation 19, starting in verse 7, describes it. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. The communion meal helps followers of Jesus anticipate the marriage feast of the Lamb. Revelation shows us what that moment will look like. Jesus says, I will not eat this meal or drink of this vine until the kingdom has fully come. And that kingdom will include a feast in honor of the lamb who was slain. And that feast will not be just in order to remember something that was done in the past, but it will be a feast in order to honor the lamb who is present and among us while we take it. That will be the great glory of that moment, is that we will eat Not just in remembrance of the Lamb, but in the presence of the Lamb. The marriage feast of the Lamb will gather all the Lord's people from every tribe, nation, and tongue for one meal in the presence of his unveiled glory. One meal in three ages. Passover, the age of the law. Thousands of lambs over hundreds of years for one nation. Communion, the age of grace. One lamb slain one time for thousands of nations and the marriage feast. One new covenant people gathered together at one meal in the presence of the lamb for all of eternity. Jesus is doing a lot in this moment. He's linking his disciples to the past reminding them of their heritage and the work of the Lord to call and care for and set apart the Israelites as his own covenant people. He's foreshadowing the immediate future in which he'll be the fulfillment of all those Passover lambs when he gives himself in order to redeem a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And he is helping his disciples to look to and anticipate the age of eternity where they will dine with him once more. Today, when we take communion... It ought to do the same kind of work in our hearts. In taking communion, followers of Jesus remember, that's the past, celebrate in the present, and anticipate in the future the glory of Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. When we come to take communion, we ought to remember this link to the past. Paul says, it's his language in Romans chapter 11 that gentile followers of jesus have been grafted into israel It just means we've been sort of sewn in to this other people when we share in the communion meal we ought to be humbled and reminded that we share in the blessing and the history of israel that thanks of god we've been brought into his chosen people that by the work of jesus all of their promises and all of their blessings have become ours that's humbling We ought to be reminded of this long lineage, remembering that thousands of lambs were slain, pointing forward to the lamb, capital L, who was given on the cross for us. There's a remembering of that past, but there's also an anchor in the present. When we come to take communion, we recenter and reframe our hearts on just who it is that we worship. We worship the lamb whose body was broken and whose blood was poured out we also remind ourselves of this new family that we're a part of, the people of God, with Christ as the head and the nations as its members. Often because we're Western people and this is just sort of the air that we breathe, when we get our communion elements, we think strictly in the personal. This is the body of Christ broken for me. This is the blood of Christ poured out for me. I do this in remembrance of him. But the Passover meal was explicitly communal. You do this, God said, to remember the fact that I saved you, a people from Egypt. When we come together and we take communion, we do this as church families because it is a communal thing. Yes, God sent his son to die on the cross and by his grace and faith in Jesus Christ, you have been saved. But you have been saved as one of a number from every tribe, nation, and tongue. This local expression of the church is just a sliver of the beauty of God's multinational, multicultural, multilingual body. When we come forward and we take communion, there ought to be a reminder that this is the blood of Christ and the body of Christ broken and poured out for the redemption of his global people. And we celebrate a Savior who went to the cross Yes, and died in my place, but died in the place of sinful humanity of which he will ransom for himself a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. When you read the book of Revelation and it talks about what it's going to look like when all of God's people are gathered together, it says that the glory of the nations will be brought in before the Lord. I don't know exactly what that means, but here's what I can say for certain. The glory of the nations means that that Gathering there in eternity is not going to be American and white and sound like church here. It's going to be multinational, multilingual, with representations of worship from every culture, and it's going to be loud, and we're probably not going to understand it all, but it will all resound to the glory of the Lord. That is what we look forward to at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And so we anticipate that future. Looking forward to a meal that I guess is going to take place at like eternity's largest table. We're all gonna be gathered together there. We look forward to the unhindered, undefiled, imperishable kingdom of God coming in fullness and in power. We look forward to the absence of sin and unbroken fellowship with God. We look forward to the multinational people of God all gathered together. We look forward to glorified bodies in the presence of a glorified savior who is worshiped as the lamb who was slain. So we're going to take communion this morning. If you're really keyed into our schedule here, you're probably thinking to yourself, we took communion last week, Tim. We can't take it this week. Yes, we can. We can do this two weeks in a row. And we're going to take it a little bit differently than we normally would. So Brian, as you come up, if you would bring the lamb. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Somebody after first service said they were getting really nervous that I was going to really pound home the visual with an actual lamb up here. We're going to take this a little bit differently than we normally do. We already take communion two different ways at different times each month, but I want us to take communion today in a way that's going to sort of blend together all three pieces of this. And so up here, there are uh, communion elements available for you. The middle tray on both sides has communion-free, or gluten-free, communion-free wafers. (laughs) Those ones don't count. It has gluten-free wafers available for you if you need them. But when the band starts to play, I'm gonna invite you to come down and get the elements yourself. You're gonna have to wait in line. Look around. See who's joining you there. During that Passover celebration, you would bring your lamb, stand in line there at the temple and get the visual reminder that here are the people of God Gathered together to celebrate the glory of God and the salvation of Israel. That's what the Passover meal was. Today, as you stand in line for a moment, it'll be okay. Look around. These are the gathered people of God. One very small expression of the church. Gathered together to celebrate the glory of God and the salvation of his people. So you're going to come down. Grab your elements. I'm gonna ask you to hold on to them as you go back to your seats. We'll take them all together. That's what the communion meal is. The people of God gathered together to celebrate the giving of the son. And so after this first song is done, we'll all take, I'll come back up and I'll lead us through taking those elements together. And then we'll close our service in worship of the lamb because that's what eternity is going to be. Worship in the presence of the risen, ruling Raining, lamb that was slain amen amen so um as the band starts to play i'm gonna invite you to stand up if you're able to if you're not if it's not comfortable for you to come up just have somebody that's sitting near you grab you some elements i'm gonna invite you to come and get your elements when you get back to your seat you can sit and just listen to this first song or you can set your elements down and stand up and worship with us we don't all have to do the same thing do whatever feels right to you And then when this first song is done, I'll come back up and lead us through taking the elements together. Brothers and sisters, if you've been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you to come to the table for communion. The first generations of individuals who took these meals, uh, it's probably most poignant for them. If you were one of the Generation of the Israelites who was there in Egypt and then actually fled out during the exodus and you went to do the Passover meal Every year you would have remembered That lamb that lived in the house for four days that you slaughtered and you would have remembered putting the blood there on the doorposts if you were one of Jesus's disciples who was there in the upper room heard Jesus talk about the refashioning of that meal, you would have remembered very vividly what it actually looked like when his body was given on the cross. You would have remembered that like you used to take your lamb and hand it to the chief priests, the body would be broken, that it was literally the chief priests who handed Jesus over that he would be arrested and crucified tried and have his body broken there on the cross, you would have remembered that just like the blood was poured out of that lamb there at the temple, that Jesus's blood poured out of his hands and his feet, that it ran down the cross. And so every time you got together to take this meal, it would have been incredibly poignant because you would have actually remembered the body of Jesus given, the blood of Jesus poured out. Now we're not Catholic, so we we don't believe that in some way this is actually the body of christ and actually the blood of christ but these aren't just mere symbols either and so the challenge for us you know a couple thousand years down the road when we've taken communion hundreds of times over the course of our life of following jesus is that this doesn't just become give me the wafer let me have the juice pastor drones on for a little while, asks me to check my heart, repent of sin, whatever the framing is of communion, and I just eat the thing, and I drink the thing, and I move on. No, this this is the the body of Christ, like given for you. And every time we come to take this meal, we ought to remember Jesus' body given over on our behalf placed up there on the cross broken in our place and we also ought to remember that one day we will take a meal similar to this in his presence and it won't be broken body anymore it will be ruling reigning resurrected Jesus right there in front of us eating the meal alongside us and we will see his body in all of its glory like when we take communion, all of that ought to sort of smash its way into our hearts and our minds, recentering and reframing our worship on the Lamb who was slain. That's the intent of this meal. And so it's with all of that that I say, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of him. The same is true of the cup. It's not just merely some juice in a tiny little cup that we drink alongside the wafer. In a powerful way, this is to remind us of the blood of Christ. Poured out for us and now washing us clean by the grace of God. It is the blood of Christ that covers us and makes it so that when we stand before the Lord in our moment of judgment, we will be seen as spotless and clean with the righteousness of Christ instead of stained by our own sin. In like the reverse way of all those priests who stood for hundreds of years at the front of those lines in Jerusalem and had their robes stained by the blood of lambs, brothers and sisters, when you stand before the Lord in your moment of judgment, blood will wash you clean. And when we gather together in eternity, every person present at that meal will have been washed by this blood. A people from every tribe, nation, and tongue brought together because Jesus' blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. So it's with that that I say, brothers and sisters, this is the blood of Christ poured out for you. Drink in remembrance of him. Each and every time We gather together as a church, whether that's here or if you're visiting with us, your local church where you do this regularly, we remember that long line. We celebrate the work of Christ among us now, bringing together people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, and we anticipate the day we'll see the presence of that body all gathered together, and we'll get to view the Lamb. In all of his glory and all of his beauty present there with us. And so uh, my prayer this morning has been that this wouldn't just be like, uh, we kind of did communion a different way once. My prayer is that by actually engaging in the act a little bit differently and seeing it in God's word, that our hearts would be transformed so that every time we take this, we'd get it framed up in our hearts and our minds correctly, past, present, future, the lamb who was slain, amen, amen. If you wanna stand up, we're gonna close our service in worship. We're gonna start by singing the song For the Lamb Has Overcome, that's intentional. Um, The lyrics to this is a song we sing somewhat regularly, but the chorus says, for the lamb has overcome, everlasting love has won. In eternal praise, we will lift him up for the lamb has overcome. Let's sing together. This is from Revelation chapter 5. It says this. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power, be to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Brothers and sisters, we will worship a lamb a slain lamb for all of eternity. His body broken, his blood poured out, laid in a tomb, resurrected, ascended in glory, seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning right now and for all of eternity. It will be that lamb that we worship forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this meal and this act that we do together. Thank you for the lamb who was slain. God, thank you for such a tangible, tactile reminder of his body given for us, his blood poured out for us. Lord, every time we partake of communion, Lord, would you stir in our hearts a deepening affection for Christ and a growing longing for obedience to him and a growing passion to worship him God, I pray that as your Holy Spirit molds us and transforms us continually as a congregation, that we would be a people who portray and proclaim the glory of the Lamb to the nations, that they might be gathered together as the Lord's people and might spend eternity worshiping in his presence. God, would you do that work in and through us, we pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here to worship with us this morning. Really quickly before you go, I just want to remind